Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. You know, this is the month of January and, and often um, in the beginning of January, you know, people are in the habit of making New Year's resolutions. I'm not going to ask you to put up your hand if you made any New Year's resolutions because round about now is the time people start breaking them. <laughs> Isn't that so? You know, we start the year, you know, full of fire and, and full of um, resolve and... Um, Sometimes our, our resolve is just not enough. And um, I think we tend to often be over-optimistic about ourselves as, as human beings and our abilities as human beings. Um, who of you know the poem Invictus? Anyone heard the, the poem Invictus? You might remember it from the movie with the same name Invictus, uh, the, the Madiba movie. Yeah, about the 95 Rugby World Cup, etc. Um, and it's a song, uh, it's, a, it's a poem that, that gets quoted often, you know, when valedictorians give their speeches, you know, the year of 96 or whatever your matric year was, and then, you know, your head boy or head girl will stand up and, and give a little speech and, and, and often quote from Invictus, you know, to, to inspire the young people. Um, I'm just going to read you the last verse because... I don't think, it, uh, in fact, it's, it's definitely not a very biblical poem, but it so accurately captures the spirit of our age. Um, and the, the humanistic optimism of our age, it was written by a guy called William Henley in, in 1875 already. He just had one of his legs amputated. And, and, and if you read the whole poem, you can sort of hear the defiance you know, in his voice you know, in the poem. But I just want to read you the, the last um, couple of verses. And it says, It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And, and, and you can sort of hear the, the, the dagger stab towards the, the, the Bible and towards the New Testament in there. Because it, <clears throat> the, it matters not how straight the gate the King James Version, when he talks about the narrow gate, that's an old English word. It, it says the straight gate. So, so it's talking about the narrow gate. So he's saying it doesn't matter how narrow the gate, and it doesn't matter how filled with punishments the scroll, and, and obviously he's referring to the Bible, you know. Um, he says, I am the master. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I can do whatever I want to. I have the power. And... Um, that spirit of the age, that, that humanistic optimism about human ability and capability permeates our, our whole Western society and, and it, it influences our minds as well. And so often we think <clears throat> that we can actually do more than we are capable of. And the more we think we can do and, and the more we think we are capable of, the less we think we need God's help the less we think we need God to intervene in our lives and actually change our lives. And I just want to, <clears throat> you know, just remind us, and, and we all actually know this, when, when, we, 
when we really think about it carefully, we, we cannot even choose when we are born and when we die. There are so many things that we aren't in control of, but that God is. We are not the general managers of the universe. We are not as in control as we think. And more than that, time confirms to us that we are not as capable of changing ourselves as we think. And in all of that, we need God more than we realize or think. So I just want to read you a couple of verses, very famous verses from John chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 1. And uh, it's a guy called Nicodemus who comes to Jesus and he's from the Pharisees. They were one of the, the most prominent religious groups within Judaism at the time. And they were very nationalistic. You know, they wanted to kick the Romans out and, and, and they wanted the Jews to govern themselves. They were very legalistic. They were serious about the law. And uh, they were very religious. They were the guys who, who, who invented the synagogue. They went to synagogue whenever the synagogue was on. <laughs> and they preached in the synagogue, these, these Pharisees. So, so this is the kind of guy that, that comes to Jesus. And, and it says in, in John, if you just go to the next slide, John chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to read from verse 1 to 10. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear, this, you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? And um, I just want to uh, lift out a few thoughts from this beautiful passage. It's, it's, a, it's a conversation. It's, it's like you, you hear... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's like a verbal ping-pong game, you know. Nicodemus comes in and he says something and Jesus responds. But his response looks like it has nothing to do with what Nicodemus just said, you know. And then, Jesus, and then Nicodemus is like, what? How, how can a man be born again when he's old? And then Jesus says, no, he must be born of water and the Spirit, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And then um, Nicodemus says, how can these things be, you know. And then Jesus responds again, what, you're a, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things. You know, you can, you can sort of hear the verbal ping-pong. But every time, you know, Nicodemus says less and less and less and Jesus says more and more and more. <laughs> In his last, you know, the last thing that he says is about five words, Nicodemus. And then after that, he doesn't speak for the rest of the chapter. So I just want to lift out a few thoughts. We can just go to the, to the next slide. I'm just going to tell you exactly what I'm going to be sharing on. Firstly, I'm just going to um, ask who 
must be born again. John 3 verse 7 says, Jesus says, you must be born again. Who's this you that must be born again? Okay, secondly, uh, where does this concept of, of being born again come from? Thirdly, what is being born again then? What, what does it mean? What does it refer to? And then finally, how do you know if you've been born again? Now, um, John in his gospel often uses misunderstanding. If you've read John's gospel, I mean, it's all over the place. You know, Jesus will say something, the disciples or Nicodemus or whoever, Pontius Pilate, whoever will misunderstand, and then Jesus will use their misunderstanding as an opportunity to explain it a bit more. And you see exactly the same thing happening here. Uh, when Jesus says you must be born again, he uses a Greek word, um, anothen, which can, which can have three meanings. It can mean anew, again, or from above. Anothen, the, the, word, the Greek word anothen. Now, if you read through that, that passage, um, we, we'll see now how, how, how Nicodemus interprets it, but he actually misinterprets it. Okay? I just want to show you in, in John 3, verse 31, which is up there, it says, He who comes from above, same word, anothen, is above all, and he uh, who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in, earthly, in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven, Above, in other words. Anothen is above all. So just to show you that, uh, what, what the, the range of meanings of, of the word is. Now, now, look at what Jesus says. Listen to what Jesus says, and then listen to what Nicodemus, how Nicodemus responds, and see which one of the three responses. Because there's, a, there's a, a definite misunderstanding and play on words here. John is using the, the range of meanings um, of this word, anothen, to, to, to show us a bit of misunderstanding here. So Nicodemus says to him, Rabbis, we know that you are a teacher come from God. You know? And then Jesus looks as though he ignores everything that John and that Nicodemus has said and just jumps in and says something else that is completely random and unrelated. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born unopen, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But, but here's the problem. At the beginning of verse 3, it says, And Jesus answered him so what Jesus was saying was a direct response to what, uh, what Nicodemus was saying it's not unrelated and if we think it's unrelated then it's because we don't see the connection yet so he says you must be born unearthen and, and, and how does Nicodemus interpret it does he interpret it anew again or from above again Right? He, he thinks, okay, wow, hang on, you know, I'm old, you know, I'm 50, 60 years old. Can I enter into my mother's womb and be born again? And then Jesus says to him, no, 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 you, you're missing it. You're missing the point. You're not getting what I'm saying. You, 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 um, reading the wrong meaning into that word. And he says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And in John 1 verse Verse 12, let me actually just read that. This, this, this notion of being born anew or from above or, or so, is not, it's, it's not the first time that it appears in John 3. Notice in John 1, verse 12 and 13, it says, Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. Then it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born. See, there's that concept of being born. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of a man, but of God. Born of God. 
See, so Jesus, when he says he must be born anathen, he's saying you must be born of the Spirit, you must be born of God. In other words, he means you must be born from above. And go and read 1 John, which was written by the same John. And over and over again, you get this concept, whoever is born of God. So, so Nicodemus uh, misunderstands him. But obviously, here's the thing. Obviously, if you're born from above, you are born anew and you're born again as well. But it's a specific kind of new birth. It's, it's, it's from above. It's from God. So, Jesus says to him, Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Um, I notice that, you know, Jesus says you must be born again. And in the Greek, it's very emphatic. You must. It's, it, it's necessary. It's essential. It's absolutely essential that you must be born again. And, and we, we have this idea of thinking that only some people must be born again. Right? You know, we're mo- most, typically, you know, born again comes with a lot of cultural baggage. You know, if, 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 if you, do, you say... Um, you know, I, 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 um, I am, uh, uh, you know, of the church of the living waters. You know, no one will sort of bat an eyebrow. But if you say I'm the, of the church of the, born, of the born again, then people will say, oh, you're one of those, you know. So people have an idea. Even in, people who are not, you know, in church and people who are, who are not interested in church in the Bible, they've heard of, of this idea of being born again. And there are all kinds of misconceptions about it and all kinds of cultural baggage. That, that is connected to it. And, and people typically think, you know, people who are not in church, people who are, who are not necessarily Christians, they think, mm, you know, <clears throat> people who are, you know, who don't make it in life, people who are losers, people who are not successful, people who fail, people who struggle, people who are drug addicts, people who are, whose lives are falling apart, those are the kinds of people who need to be born again because they need a fresh start. But normal people like me, like us, you know, we don't need to be born again. We're all right. Don't people think that? No, it's not for me. You know, and people even think, you know, that it's a specific kind of Christianity. You know, you can be a normal Christian without being born again, but if you're really serious. You know, if you want to do Christianity on steroids, then you go for this born again thing. You know, and, and, and those are typically some of the things that, that people think. And, and this, this passage flies in the face of all of that and refutes all of that. Because just look at, at, at how he describes Nicodemus. Now, in chapter 3, John chapter 3, Jesus has this encounter with Nicodemus, who's a man, who's a ruler of Israel, who's a Pharisee. And in the next chapter, he meets a Samaritan woman at the well. She's a Samaritan. They were very despised. She was a woman who came at midday in the heat of the day to come and fetch water because she clearly was a social outcast. All the other women came in the cool of the morning, but they didn't want anything to do with her. So even amongst the outcast Samaritans, she was an outcast. And, and those are the kinds of you know, people say, yes, the Samaritan woman, she clearly needs you know, intervention in her life. She needs a change. But, but Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee. You know, he's, success, he's clearly successful because he's a ruler, you know, all that kind of stuff. He doesn't need it. So just look at what it says. It says he's a Pharisee. Now, what does that mean? It means he's very religious. Now, and, and typically people would think, you know, being born again, specifically for people who are not religious. In fact, for people who are irreligious. Now, that it's, for, it's for those kind of people. 
But then Jesus says to Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee, who's very religious. I mean, like I said, they invented the synagogue. He probably went to synagogue whenever, you know, it was on. He was extremely religious. And he says to this religious guy, one of the most religious in the whole of Israel, he says to him, you must be born again. It's not just for people who are irreligious or people who don't go to church. So often we think going to church is enough. You know, as though going to church can make you a Christian any more than going to a bakery can make you a loaf of bread. It doesn't work that way. But we think so. We think, you know, okay, you know, it's for irreligious people. Or, or we think, you know, it's, it's for immoral people. It's for bad people, naughty boys and girls. You know, who don't have like moral standards, you know. If you need a, a God to intervene and you need a, a new set of moral standards, you know, then you can get born again. Well, Guess what? He's a Pharisee. They were as legalistic and as moral as you got. They divided the Old Testament up. They went through the whole Old Testament and counted all the laws. And they counted there were something like 613 individual laws, separate laws. And they memorized them and they tried to keep all of them. So here's like a very moral, very legalistic guy. He doesn't need like a new set of rules. He's already got lots of rules, plenty, probably too much. And Jesus says to this guy, you need to be born again. So this idea that we have that, you know, it's just for immoral people, doesn't, doesn't cut it either. Because Jesus says to this Pharisee, who's very religious and very moral, it's not enough. Because he's saying, you know, we know you're a, a godly teacher and all that. And Jesus says, that's great, but it's not enough. Everything you've said now, everything that's been said about you, it's not enough. You're not even going to see the kingdom unless you're born again. And secondly, it says he's a ruler. He was a ruler in Israel. He was part of the Sanhedrin, which was like the top, you know, ruler uh, leadership structure in Israel. You had to be like very successful, very respected. You needed like serious stature, you know, in society. And you needed to be very popular to come onto that. You, you needed to be with the in crowd. So this guy was all of that. He was very successful. He, he, his life was not falling apart. Everyone thought he is the man. He, he has it all together. You know? he's, everyone respected him. Everyone looked up to him. And yet Jesus says, all your success is not enough. Unless you are born again, you won't even see the kingdom of God. All your accomplishments, not enough. That great CV that you have, not enough. Unless you are born again, you won't even see the kingdom of God. So that misconception, you know, that, that, that also doesn't work. It's not just for people who fail. And successful people, you know, can get into heaven in a different way. Further, he was a seeker. It says he came to Jesus by night. No, Jesus didn't come to him. He came to Jesus. So he was actually, you know, seeking God. He was actually, you know, being proactive, you know, and coming to Jesus. Okay, it was by night. Granted, so he clearly didn't want to be seen by you know all his his, his you know high flying buddies, but but at least he was coming to Jesus. But even that, Jesus says, not enough. It's great that you came to me, but that doesn't save you. It's not enough that you that you're a seeker and that you come to me. You know. Furthermore, he says he recognized Jesus as a godly teacher. We know Rabbi. He calls him Rabbi. A, a, a term of and, and a title of respect amongst the Jews, a teacher. Now he's a teacher of 
Israel, of the, you know, part of the Sanhedrin, calling Jesus rabbi. And I'm sure he sort of wanted a pat on the back and said, Ah, uh, you know, thanks for calling me rabbi, but you're a rabbi too, you know. Like, you're a super rabbi, you know. <laughs> you're my rabbi. <laughs> you're a rabbi for the nation, you know. And, and us rabbis, you know, we, we, we understand each other, you know. Jesus doesn't call him rabbi nothing. Jesus does, just says to him, buddy, it's not enough. You've got to be born again. There's something missing in your life. So, you know, and there's so many people today, especially in our modern culture, who are very happy to say Jesus is a good moral teacher. Quite happy to say that. His teachings are good. Look at all the lives he's changed. He's a good moral teacher. And Jesus says, if you only believe that about him, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. Because it's not enough to believe that Jesus was just a good moral teacher. In fact, if Jesus was only a good moral teacher, then he wasn't a good moral teacher. Because Jesus claimed to be God. I mean, no one else in the history, in their right mind, has claimed to be God, right? Muhammad never claimed to be God. Buddha never claimed to be God. None of the great religious leaders ever claimed to be God. You can go and check your history. Jesus claimed to be God. So either, you know, if he, were, if, he, if, he, if he were not God, he was either lying and he knew he was lying, in which case he was a liar, or he was lying, but he thought he was telling the truth, in which case he was a lunatic. You know, on a par with someone, a man who thinks he's a poached egg, like uh, C.S. Lewis used to say. Or he was telling the truth, in which case he's Lord. And like Josh McDowell says, that's the trilemma. He calls it the trilemma. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. Those are the only three options. Don't patronize Jesus by calling him a good moral teacher. He didn't leave that option open to you. He didn't intend to. You cannot believe that Jesus was just a good moral teacher. And if you only believe Jesus was a good moral teacher and nothing more, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. And a few verses later in, in John 3 verse 14, Jesus, uh, or John writes, he says, As Moses lifted up the snake in the desert. Now what happened there was the Israelites were in the desert and they were on their usual pluck, you know, sinning against God and turning away from you and so on. So, you know, God sent a bunch of venomous snakes in between them and they were, you know, biting the guys and the guys were dying. And then they started, oh, okay, 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 fine, we repent, you know. And, and then God said, okay, you know, I'll have mercy on them. Make a bronze snake. Put it on a pole, and if anyone gets bitten by, by these venomous snakes, if they look towards the, the bronze snake, they'll be healed. And that's how it happened. And Jesus said, uh, uh, and, and, and John here says, as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness onto the pole, so the Son of Man, Jesus, must be lifted up. And when he's lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself. Can you see Jesus is saying, hang on, I'm a lot more than just a good moral teacher. I've come to do a lot more than simply teach you the right way. I've come to save you. I've come to save you. Then, you know, fifth, in the fifth place, he recognized the supernatural in Jesus. He says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God because no one can do these miraculous signs that you are doing Unless God is with him. So he recognizes the supernatural in Jesus. And you know what Jesus says? Not enough. 
It's not enough for you to see the supernatural in me. If you only see the supernatural in me, you will not enter the, or see the kingdom of heaven. Even if you recognize the supernatural in me, it's not enough. And we as charismatics so often think, you know, you know, if someone can only see a miracle, if someone can only recognize and admit and say, wow, that was really a miracle of God, then that would be enough to save them. Then they'll inevitably get saved. And it's not inevitable. Obviously, you know, we want God to do miracles, and God does still do miracles. And, and, and many of us can testify of that. You know, some guys were asking me before the service, you know, can we give a testimony about the miracles that God has done in our lives? <laughs> and um, I said to them next week. So maybe, maybe next week you'll, you'll hear this story. But God does do miracles. But, but even seeing miracles, often people see miracles and they don't recognize them. But even when people do see miracles and do recognize them, that doesn't necessarily save them automatically. And it doesn't mean they get saved. I mean, the Pharisees, I mean, Nicodemus says that we know that you're a teacher come from God. We know that no one can do these miraculous signs that you are doing. Who's the we? It's the Pharisees. How many of the Pharisees believed in Jesus? I mean, they saw all his miracles. In fact, they knew that they were real miracles. They said so. You know, this, you know, they're doing, you know he's doing like amazing miracles. How can, we, you know, how can we deny this? How can we, we can't cover this up? Everyone knows these are real miracles. These are authentic miracles. You know, we're in trouble. And then they say, oh, okay. Uh, he's doing his miracles by Beelzebub, the, 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 the prince of the demons. You know, these are demonic miracles. That, they couldn't deny the reality of the miracles, so they denied the source. But they knew, and yet so few of them got saved. What's going on there? They recognized Jesus was doing miracles. Nicodemus is saying that. We know. We know no one can do these miraculous signs that you're doing unless God is with them. Jesus says, not enough. Here's the thing. And John Piper says it very nicely. He says, recognizing the supernatural in Jesus is not enough to enter the kingdom. You need to experience the supernatural in yourself by being born again. Right? Just recognizing the supernatural in Jesus or in someone else's life is not enough. You need to experience the supernatural in yourself. And that's what being born again is is all about. It's a supernatural experience. So when Jesus says, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. It's interesting. He says, do not marvel that I say to you. And the first you there is in the Greek. In the Greek there's a difference between the, the singular and the plural for, for you or for them. Or for, uh, you, you, you singular, you plural. So, so the first you, it says, I say to you, it's you singular. And then he says, you plural must be born again. So he switches from the speaking to Nicodemus to speaking in the plural. It says you all, like the, like the Texans say, y'all, y'all must be born again. Amen, preachy brother, y'all must be born again. Now, now, I mean, Nicodemus had the CV. He had the track record. If anyone could say, you know, could qualify based on their performance, it was Nicodemus. And Jesus says, no, you must be born again, and everyone like you, whether they're successful or, f- or, f- or whether they're failures, whether they're up and out, whether they're down and out. You must be born again. Whatever you have to offer is not enough. Only God, what God has to offer, is enough to save you. Okay, so where did this concept of being born again come from? Um, let me just, sorry, let me just read to you. Jesus says you must be born of water and the Spirit. Now, now I'm going to read to you a passage from Ezekiel 36 and see if you can see how Jesus is alluding to that passage. 
Okay? In verse, I'm going to read from verse 25 to 27, Ezekiel 36. It says, it's God talking about Israel who are in captivity, in exile. And he says, I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to restore them. And that, that restoration of Israel becomes a metaphor for the salvation of the new covenant. And he says, listen to this. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean of all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new heart. Whatever you can do for yourself is not good enough. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a a heart of flesh for a heart of stone. I'm going to put my spirit in you. But notice he says, I'll sprinkle you with clean water and clean you, born of water, and I'll put my spirit in you, born of the spirit. And that's the essence of the new covenant. And then later on he says, the wind blows where it wishes. Right? And listen to what Ezekiel 37, the very next chapter, says. Because it it just uses a different metaphor to say the same thing. From verse 7 it says, So I prophesy, this is um, Ezekiel, God takes him in a vision to a valley of bones. And he says they're very dry bones. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones. You know that song? (laughs) So he's walking amongst these dry bones. And and God asks him, you know, can these dry bones live? And he he doesn't want to say yes. His faith is not there. And he says, Lord, you know. (laughs) You know, Lord. <laughs> and, and, and eventually God says to him, prophesy. And, 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 you know, he does it. And in verse 7 it says, So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. Huh? The sound? You hear the wind? You don't see the wind, but you hear the wind? There was a sound. And behold, a rattling. And the, and, and the bones were coming together. Bone to, to, to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews, and on them flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Uh, and then he said to me, prophesy to the, to the breath. Now, in both Hebrew and Greek, the word for breath and, and wind and spirit are exactly the same word. In, in Hebrew, it's ruach, and in, 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 um, in Greek, it's, it's pneuma. And he says, uh, prophesy to the breath. Um, prophesy, son of man. And say to the breath, or to the wind, or to the spirit, Thus says the Lord, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as, I was, com- as was commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then verse 14 says, And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And the breath there represents the spirit of God being placed within us. And I'll put my spirit within you, and you will live. And can you see, that's why at the end of the portion we read in John 3, John 3 verse 10, Jesus said, that's why Jesus says, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? So Jesus clearly expected him as a teacher of Israel to have known these things, understood them, and taught them from, from the Old Testament, from Ezekiel. In other words, that whole thing about being born again, it's there in Ezekiel 36 and 37. And that's why Jesus expected him to know. So that's where the concept comes from. So what is it? He says, unless you are born again, you cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. Well, what does it mean, the kingdom of God? 
The kingdom of God is where God is king, where God rules as king, right? So the question is, how does God become king in your life and in my life? And Jesus says, it's by you being born from above, being born of the Spirit, being born of God. So what is it? Now, something that is very clear, just by the metaphor, being born, is that being born again or being born from above or being born of the Spirit is not just an addition. It's not like, okay, you have a nice foundation laid in your life. Let's build with this born again thing on that foundation that's already there. It's not like you already have some good things in your life. Let's just add to it. Let's supplement it with this born again experience. It's not that. Being born means it's a brand new start. And it's not just an adjustment. It's not just taking what is there and taking away the bad stuff and reshuffling it. It's not just an adjustment to your life. It's a brand new start. The person who has everything sorted out like Nicodemus and the person who has nothing sorted out like the Samaritan woman at the well are in exactly the same place. Both of them need a brand new start. Both of them must be born again. Both of them need the, the living water of the Spirit inside of them to resurrect them. And like Ezekiel 36 says, it's like receiving a brand new heart from God. A heart that has the law of God written on it so that you actually want to obey God. He says, I'll, I'll, write, I'll, I'll put my Spirit in you. And other scriptures says, I'll write my law on their hearts in, in, in Jeremiah 31 and cause them to want to keep my commandments, to want to obey me. So it's like having a whole new heart. It's like God doing a heart transplant on you. Where your old heart of stone doesn't want to obey God, God gives you a heart of flesh, a heart on which the Spirit has written His laws so that you want to obey it. So you don't know, no longer need the, the laws on the tablet of stone being imposed on you from the outside, but where you have the law written on the tablets of your heart, like Proverbs 3 says, so that you want to keep them. You see, God doesn't change you from the outside in. He doesn't impose change on you from the outside in. He changes you from the inside out by first changing your heart and by that changing your life. Amen? And then, like Ezekiel 37 says, it's like a resurrection. It's like you were dead and not just sort of dead, not just like your heart, you know, was standing and you weren't breathing. You... <laughs> Your flesh had already rotted off. And your bones had already dried. That's how dead you were. Spiritually. And then you get resurrected. That's what it means. To be born again. Like the old saying goes. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Born once, die twice. Now, it's everyone who's born only once will die twice. But if you're born twice, you'll die only once. You'll only die physically. You'll maybe die spiritually. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. It's like, um, who have you seen the, that movie, The Matrix? Oh, a bunch of sinners, all of you. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I like sci-fi movies, and I'm, I'm privileged to be married to a wife who likes sci-fi movies as well. So when we go on a romantic date, we go and watch, we go and watch sci-fi movies. <laughs> I 
aren't all of you guys jealous of me? <laughs> now, in, in the Matrix, the whole story of the Matrix is actually very interesting. And just by the way, I think it's a good idea to, to sort of sometimes watch the movies that the world makes because it tells you where the people's minds are at. And often it gives you a good, good sort of just you know, open door to start conversations. And, and The Matrix is one of those movies, you know. When you actually think about it, there's, there's some deep stuff there and some nice analogies with what Jesus is saying here. Because the, the, the movie is about this guy, Neo, you know, and there's this rumor about The Matrix, and he doesn't know what this Matrix is. You know, it, it turns out that The Matrix is, you know, the, the Earth has been taken over by, by robots, by artificial intelligence robots, and um, instead of killing the humans, they, they use their, their, their bodies as living batteries. So they, they plug them into this, you know, robotic, you know, electronic system. And they harvested electricity from them. And they plugged their minds into the computer and created a virtual reality in which they could really make decisions. But they lived in their heads and in this computer virtual reality. And that was the matrix. And when, um, just go to the next slide. When, 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 before Neo wakes up from the Matrix, this, this guy Morpheus, and there's a play on, on the Greek god of sleep there, because that was the, the name of the Greek god of sleep. He says to him, because he asks him, what is the Matrix? He says, the Matrix is everywhere. He says, the Matrix is everywhere. Severian, come here. <laughs> Put this on. Put this on. Okay, just stand like that. Okay, now... Now, have you ever heard, this is my friend Severian, we, we come a long way from, from Franchuk's days. <laughs> now, have you ever heard the saying, to have the wool pull over your eyes? Okay, pull, pull this thing over your eyes? Okay. Having the wool pull is over your eyes. Thanks, Severian. <laughs> now, look at what he's saying there. He's saying, the matrix is the world that, is pulled, that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth or to blind you to the truth. This virtual reality is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you to the truth. And what Jesus is saying is, and, and what happened then is, they, there was this, oh, I'm not going to go into the details, but, but they, they basically woke Neo up from the matrix. And he was sort of unplugged. And, he, and this is, there's this picture down here is where he wakes up. And he, and he wakes up from this, you know, stasis chamber where he's being held you know and he looks up and he sees all these thousands and millions of chambers like this where human beings are lying their brains plugged into the matrix and supplying electricity for the machines and it's this moment of awakening and his eyes being open and seeing but the world that I thought I lived in wasn't real didn't really exist now I've woken up in the real world. And what Jesus is saying, unless you are born again, unless you are born from above, you cannot even see the real world. You cannot even see the kingdom of God. You've got to wake up like Neo woke up from the matrix. Okay, so how do you know if you've been born again? John 3 verse 8 says, The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Okay, and, and what Jesus is saying is, is quite obvious, but we sometimes don't get it. So let me make it just very explicit to you. Jesus is saying, you cannot see the wind, 
but you can see the effects of the wind. And likewise, you cannot see the Spirit, but you can see the effects of the Spirit. So if we ask the question, how do I know if I've been born again? The answer is, you're not going to see the Spirit Himself working in your life directly, because you can't see the Spirit. He's in a different dimension. But you are going to see the effects of the Spirit. You are going to see the effects of the Spirit in your life. Just go to the, yeah, just, just click once more there. If the leaves aren't rustling, the wind isn't blowing. If you go outside, how do you know the wind's blowing? You can feel it. You can feel it on your skin. You can see the leaves rustling in the wind. You can hear the wind blowing. And if that is not happening, then the wind is not blowing. So how do you know if you've been born again? There are leaves rustling in your life. Because the wind of the Spirit is blowing through your life. You can feel it on the skin of your spirit, metaphorically speaking. You can hear the noise of the Spirit blowing through your life and the voice of the Spirit speaking to you. In other words, being born again is an experience. That is what John's saying there. It's an experience that you'll know of and you'll see the fruit of it in your life. So I want to mention two scriptures. I, I don't have time to go into them into depth. But 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7, um, where in the beginning of the chapter Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts. And then he says something interesting in verse 7. He says, now listen to this. He says, and to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He's not, it, it doesn't say... To some is given the manifestation of the Spirit. And he talks about prophecy and tongues and healings and faith and all kinds of weird and wonderful things. But, but, and he calls them manifestations of the Spirit. But listen to what he says. He says to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. In other words, one of the fruit, one of the ways that you'll see the wind of the Spirit blowing in your life is the manifestation of the Spirit, which is given to each one. For what? For the common good. God doesn't want to give you gifts because you're so cute or because you're so holy even. He wants to give you gifts because the people around you need it so much. Amen? So that's the one thing. And the next thing is, is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. Okay? The fruit of the Spirit is another way that you can see the Spirit working in your life. Now, I, I, uh, and, and, and let me just be critical of, of my own tradition here. Us Pentecostal charismatics, we're often very big, you know, long on the, on the gifts, but short on the fruit. Let's admit that to ourselves, right? That's not right. The Spirit didn't only come to give us power. He did come to give us power, no doubt about that. But He didn't only come to give us power. He also came to, to give us purity. Love, joy, peace, goodness, faithfulness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all those good, pure things, all those things that reflect the character of God, the nature, the very nature of God, He has come to bear that fruit in our lives. Where gifts are given and are immediate, fruit is growing and it's progressive. But you will see it in your life. If the Spirit is there, you will see it in your life. If the leaves aren't rustling, the wind isn't blowing. So my question to you, are the leaves rustling in your life? Is the breath of the Spirit blowing through your life? Has it blown through your life? Has God breathed new life into you? Oh, dry bones. And then, 
you know, the implication is that there's no such thing as a quiet reception of the Spirit. You can, I did my master's thesis, in fact, my old master's on, on the, new, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And, and one thing I can guarantee you, there is no such thing as a quiet reception of the Spirit in the New Testament. There's no such thing. That's a myth that people have invented. In fact, it's so, so much so an experiential empowering that when Paul wants to test whether people are truly Christians, he asks them about their reception of the Spirit. And here's just one example in Galatians 3. Look at it. It says, Oh foolish Galatians. Because what was happening here, these, these Jewish Christians called Judaizers were coming in and saying to the guys, to the guys, the, the non-Jewish Christians, the Gentile Christians in Galatia, no, 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 you're not properly saved. You must first be circumcised. You know, then, and keep the law, then you'll be properly saved. And he says to them, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your, your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. When I preached the gospel to you, I preached Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And then in verse, verse 2 it says, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of law or by hearing with faith? And He expects them to be able to answer that question. Based on what? Their experience. Right? And then He goes on and He says, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected? By the flesh? No, no, notice what he says. He doesn't say, I'm asking you about the spirit you received at the beginning. He says, I'm asking you about the spirit you received as the beginning. Having begun in the spirit. That was the beginning. And he expects them to be able to say, yes. We, now that we think about it, actually you're right, Paul. You know, without being circumcised, we experienced receiving the spirit when you preached the gospel to us and when we got born again. Not by works of law, but by just hearing with faith. So clearly we were already saved before we got circumcised. So what's the circumcision business? It's not necessary for us. But can you see what he's saying? Can you see that, that, that he asked them a question that he expects them to be able to answer based on the experience? The wind blows. You cannot see the wind. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going. But you can hear the wind. And you can see the effects of the wind. In someone's life. And that's, what's, that's what Paul is saying here. Now in closing. Nicodemus did eventually. I'm not going to read the scriptures. But if you're taking notes. You can take down those scriptures. The, the two other places in John's gospel. Where Nicodemus' name appears. You know. They want to. You know. They're very. The Pharisees and, and the guys that's in the Sanhedrin. Are very annoyed about Jesus. And they like. You know. What can we do to stop him? He's going to convert everyone, you know. His ministry is very successful. And Nicodemus stands up for Jesus and he says, hang on, you know, doesn't our law require that you first give someone a hearing and, and look what they're doing before you judge them? And I say, what, what's wrong with you? You want to become his disciple too? You know, go and check in the scripture. No, no prophet ever comes from Galilee. They, they didn't know Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But, but you can see already, Nicodemus was already open and already listening to Jesus. And his heart was already open to Jesus. And then in chapter 19, it says that Nicodemus, along with Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly. <laughs> he was a secret disciple, but he was a disciple. They took down Jesus' body. They wrapped him in, in spices and linen, and they put him in, in, in the grave where he was. And it's clear that, that Nicodemus' heart did open to Jesus. He did actually listen to what Jesus said when Jesus said, you must be born again. And my question to you this morning is, have you listened? Now Nicodemus was responding. How are you responding? 
Is God opening up your heart by His Spirit? Is God wanting to come and give you a brand new beginning? Can you feel the presence of the Spirit? Can you start to hear the whisper of His voice drawing you? Let's just close our eyes as we sit. Just close your eyes right there. I just want you to, you know, no matter how many good or bad things you've done, you know, none of them can earn you entrance into the kingdom of heaven. So I just want you, as your eyes are closed and you're praying and just focusing on God, just, just say, God, all the things that I did, I lay them aside. All the things that I could boast in, I just lay them aside. I, I, I realize in, in eternity they mean nothing. Just in your own words. <laughs> 